From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. COVID-19 might create conditions that threaten recovery for people in substance use treatment. I'm talking with psychiatric nurse practitioner John Reheisen from Upstate University Hospital's Addiction and Pain Service via web conference. Thank you for making time for HealthLink on Air. You're most welcome, Amber. Well, let's talk about how things are different during the COVID-19 pandemic with regard to substance use treatment. It's certainly an unsettling time for all of us, but for someone who's in treatment, um, what are the issues that concern you? The big issues that are concerning to us right now is the social distancing and the shelter in place and a lot of the measures that are being Put on society right now to try to keep the pandemic under control have also impacted our ability to engage with patients. We don't have the visibility that we used to have. Um, people coming into the office, being able to put eyes on them doesn't happen anymore. Most of my patients are being seen the way that we're talking right now over a video conference, whether it's WebEx or Zoom or whatever platform that they're comfortable with. That's how we're engaging with our individual psychotherapy patients. And then a lot of the group settings, uh, AA, NA, your 12-step programs were shut down when their community centers and their locations went away. And then similarly on our service, we had a group session for buprenorphine maintenance for opioid use disorder that is no longer. But the, I'm assuming the dealers are still available and dealing, right? The dealers are very available. They are not restricted by any of the, you know, they don't have to do curbside pickup. They don't have to do six feet between them and the person that they want to deal with. So, yeah, as far as the drug trade, especially the illicit drug trade in town is concerned, business is booming. Wow. Well, let's talk about. Uh, what, what is what are you doing specifically? What is your practice doing? Um, how are you staying in touch with people? As I mentioned before, the primary thing that we're doing with most of our patients is we're engaging them through telehealth or telepsychiatry, where we're using video conferencing, even just doing uh, phone conversations and phone consultations to stay in touch with our patients and maintain our contact with them that way. But we are also open for business. We are still seeing patients face-to-face because we are an essential service and part of the hospital. So all of our staff are wearing masks in accordance with the CDC guidelines. We have taken extra cleaning precautions in our public areas and with any of the common medical equipment that we use, like our blood pressure cuffs, uh, stethoscopes, anything like that that we use here in the office. We're washing those more frequently in between patients. We're washing our hands in between patients and every single time that we have contact with somebody. And then we're maintaining the social distancing that's appropriate. Uh, Some of our offices where we take them off and this is where you sit, this is where I sit. We allow the six feet as the patient comes into the room to maintain the proper social distancing as well. And your offices physically are not in the hospital proper, correct? Correct. We are located at 600 East Genesee Street in suite number 217. So we are not in the actual hospital proper. So we are not 
uh, as close to you know the hotbed to say as far as you know people coming in passing through that think or might be there for screening or anything like that um, you know you don't have to worry about that coming into the office and that's one of the other things that we've done is anybody who comes into the office is being asked the same questions as if you were to enter the hospital as far as travel have you been experiencing any kind of symptoms and they go through the typical COVID-19 symptoms a fever trouble breathing dry cough and we're taking everybody's temperature before we're seeing face to face as well so any listeners who are struggling with substance use issues they can still contact you they can still call 315-464-3130 to learn more and to to set up an appointment right Certainly, they're, they're more than welcome to call us and to set up an appointment. The only requirement for an initial appointment is that you have to be accompanied by what we call a sober support person. The reason for this is that it starts that idea of building personal relationships that are going to help you with your abstinence and eventually your sobriety from substances. And we ask that that person uh, accompany you to the first appointment, but in your follow-up appointments, that person isn't required. It's just somebody else to listen to the process and hear all the information so that you can go home and have a conversation and make an informed decision about what kind of treatment. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with nurse practitioner John Ringheisen about substance use treatment during the pandemic. So I wanted to talk to you about what you're doing to re-educate patients in terms of, well, for instance, tobacco use. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this subject up because COVID-19 is a respiratory disease. And a lot of the re-education that we're doing with our people that are addicted to nicotine and choose to inhale their nicotine by either traditional cigarettes or vape, or this also applies to cannabis or marijuana use, um, tobacco use increases the chances of getting infected. Uh, you're inhaling something that's irritating your bronchioles, the little branches inside of your lungs that allow oxygen to get into your bloodstream. And so by irritating all of that, you're creating a very ripe, very rich environment for the virus to take hold. So your ability to get infected is increased. And, and then I've, on top of it, the there's little things that look like fingers in your lungs called cilia that are designed to sweep virus out of your lungs when you cough. And those get paralyzed when you inhale smoke. And so now you've paralyzed what's supposed to get the virus out. You've created a ripe environment for the virus to take hold. And so your ability to get infected and your mortality, if you do become infected, is increased as well. Well, that's what I've heard. If, if you go into this, if you get infected with the coronavirus and you've got lung damage, apparently you're at greater risk for having a worse outcome. Correct. Well, and go the, ahead. The literature that we're seeing right now is showing that as far as your ability to get in COVID-19, if you've got uh, existing lung damage or if you're a smoker right now or any substance this includes vaping is 14. now what about uh alcohol use i know liquor stores are still open 
they've been deemed an essential business. Um, are you seeing or are you afraid that uh, some of your patients may be uh, turning to liquor more? Yeah, that's one of the things that we have noticed. Uh, it was kind of a pendulum swing where before word got out that liquor stores were going to be deemed as essential businesses, we actually had a spike in our intakes. We had a lot of people crashing the door that were terrified that they were going to go into withdrawal because alcohol wasn't going to be available. And so we actually ended up detoxing because we have a very successful outpatient detox procedure here where instead of having to be in the hospital and spend a couple of days being detoxed from alcohol, you come into our service within a couple of hours, you're safe to go home, sleep in your bed. And as long as somebody's there to kind of watch over you, because you're going to be very tired and a little sedated from the medication that we give you. Um, it's a very safe outpatient procedure to, to detox from alcohol because uh, it's one of the only life-threatening detoxes because we're so worried about you having a seizure. Um, so that's something that we really encourage a lot of people that if you're noticing that you're drinking more or that you're becoming tolerant because you're trying to use alcohol to cope with depression or to cope with a very confrontational home environment that you can't escape. You know, we've seen a lot of things in the news about the increase in violence uh, as a result of COVID-19 and people trapped at home with their abusers. You know, we yeah. highly encourage and welcome them to come into the service. Well, uh, I believe some of the detox you sort of, uh, patients are, are uh, reliant on Alcoholics Anonymous meetings to, to get through also, right? And if yeah. those have been sort of put on hold or put online, how's that working out? Uh, it's been a mixed review. Uh, and it's the biggest concern that a lot of people have with AA getting pushed online into these group forums is uh, some people are really concerned about how anonymous is it? Um, is somebody recording me in the background or a lot of times when you would go to these meetings in person, people would use a pseudonym or just their first name. And so you have to be very conscious about your settings on whatever video conferencing platform that you're using to make sure that your name appears the way that you want it to when you enter the room. And so that's you know kind of the logistics struggle that we're seeing people going through with relearning how to engage with AA. And then there's also just trying to be related to the rest of the room. I mean, you know, what's the etiquette and when it's my turn to speak? Or how do I have a relationship with, you know, Tom, whose face I used to see, but now Tom's just an icon of this weird, you know, idyllic scene of an island. You know, how do I have a conversation with a picture of an island on online? So Yeah, some of the personalness is uh is difficult to replicate yeah it, you know especially in a group setting and we're we're having this we're noticing this as well in our individual therapy as well where having that relationship being able to be related with the other person on the other end of the camera is much more difficult than doing it face to face well what do you recommend that would help people be connected in isolation because I know, I think one of your 
concerns is that um, isolation increases the use of substances, perhaps. Yeah, that's a really big concern right now is that the idea that everybody being more isolated, that you know, we said businesses is booming among the drug dealers. We've noticed a marked increase in alcohol use. So we would have to, from that, correlate the idea that there's probably a marked increase in nicotine use as well. And so some of the things that we are trying to do to help people find a better way to cope with this or a better way to get through this pandemic is to find ways that are supportive in their own environment or to understand that a lot of the resources that were supportive and external to you are still available, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this interview with you right now, is to get the word out that we are open for business still. Yeah, that's good to know. Now, some of your patients are on maintenance medications, correct? Correct. So talk to me about the difference between maintenance versus, you know, a drug-free during the pandemic. Um, maintenance versus drug-free uh, really comes into the specificities of how we're addressing the opioid crisis in, in the country right now. Uh, Suboxone or buprenorphine is the primary means that is being pushed for the opioid crisis right now. And it's harm reduction. It's getting people off of opioids that are known to kill them and have a high mortality rate and putting them on an opioid that has a low, if not negligible ability to kill somebody. It's, there's a lot of people are confused on that. They think that Suboxone is a medication that you go on to, to get off of opioids. And that's a myth. Suboxone is an opioid. It's a opioid with a very long half-life. And so Suboxone maintenance is designed to give you just enough opioid that you don't feel like you need to go out and use street drugs. Which, uh, and so what we're struggling with in our maintenance groups is we recognize that a lot of these people are starting to use other substances in conjunction with their maintenance, uh, primarily stimulants. Uh, the group sessions that we used to hold are, are not being conducted, and the urine drug screens that we used to do to make sure that there weren't any other drugs, because the goal of our group sessions is to be abstinent from all other drugs except for your maintenance. Uh, so we're not able to, to do those urine drug screens because the proximity and everything else is just too much of a threat right now to, to our staff to do those screens. And so it's a very complex and a very dangerous situation where, you know, those are the few exceptions to who we are seeing regularly on an individual basis, just to put eyes on here in the office for follow-up appointments is a lot of the people from our maintenance groups because they're on our dead list. We're afraid that they're going to die if we don't put eyes on them every week. 
but the patients are able to get their the suboxone or the medication that they need. Yeah. That's still yeah, okay. certainly we are we are are ones that we feel confident uh, are being appropriate with their maintenance and that are not at risk of using other substances or alcohol and have been historically compliant with their maintenance. Um, we're pushing them to two week and even month long prescriptions rather than weekly prescriptions. Okay. Well, before we run out of time, I want to ask, do you have suggestions for the loved ones? If, if we know of someone that is, does have a substance use issue, what can we be doing to help them during this time? That's a really good question. And the best thing that I can offer is that we're open. There's a call, 315-464-3130, and be the sober support person to come into the office here and get that person the help that they need. If the idea of going out into public or coming to a medical facility is too anxiety provoking to come out of the house and engage in treatment and call. There's other services in town that are doing virtual intakes. Uh, there's other resources with online AA and online NA groups. Al-Anon is also a support group for the family members and people that are affected by the substance user that are available online. I would encourage people to find those resources and try to shop around and find a place that's comfortable for them to talk. Very useful information. I want to thank you so much to nurse practitioner John Ringheisen from Upstate's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show. HealthLink on air.